<laughs> Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. Each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions, and that's what I'm going to do for you as you listen. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above bigger obstacles that life is going to present to you. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest is a Morehouse graduate. And he made history in 2006 when at 22 years of age, he defeated a 26-year incumbent state representative to become the youngest member of the South Carolina State Legislature and the youngest African-American elected official in the nation. In 2010, he was named Time Magazine's 40 Under 40. In 2014 and 2015, he was named to the Route 100 Most Influential African-Americans. He practices law with the Strom Law Firm in Columbia, South Carolina, one of my favorite cities, by the way, and is a political commentator at CNN. He is the author of a great book that I read this week, and he will be talking about that during our interview, My Vanishing Country, a memoir. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, my man, Bakari Sellers. Man, thank you so much for having me on this platform, brother. It means a lot to be here with you today, man. So thank you so much. First of all, um, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for, you know, let, let's talk about, uh, it's, we got two breaks, but, but 25, 28 minutes to talk because it's a lot, man, because you're, you're presenting information to our lives now that I didn't have when I was growing up, books like this, you know, these are, these are, these are important books. And, uh, I, like we talk about being country, the difference between country, country folks. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was, I was sitting on my front porch and I, I, I had my love, I had my, I had my, uh, my, my, my bottle of water. I read this book on my front porch and one evening this week, this, in fact, it did on Memorial Day. That's why I spent Memorial Day with your book, Bakari, because, uh, well, listen, that, that's, a, that's, that's all you needed was some boiled peanut. And, hey, we, my, and hey, you would have had a full, a full setting. Hey, my man. And I was feeling good because, you know, when I read this book, there was, there was a couple of things that were missing in the book for me. Okay, the book is great, by the way. This is not a negative. But I was I needed some pictures in here, man. I needed some pictures. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I'll I, I go, I needed to see the picture of your six foot two sister. I needed to see the picture of your six foot two sister next to your five foot three inch tall wife. I needed to see a picture of Pop. I needed to see a picture of you, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Q Tip, skinny dude with the afro. I needed to see a picture of your dad with the afro when he was younger. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I you we, see. we 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 tried we I tried to paint a picture with my words, but as you as you laid it out, man, the, you know the imagery that we laid out in my vanishing country, I think is special. And you know these stories we have down here in the South, man. It's important that we tell them with our imagery and tell them with our words. And you're doing it. You're doing it. I, I, I that's why I want to see them because of the fact that you know that, <laughs> that when you talk about that picture that was taken on stage with you and President Barack yeah, Obama yeah. and Kerry Washington and Chris Tucker and Usher, I want to see that picture. I, I, I want to see it because you, you were like, man, I sure wish I could see that picture because you are such a good. Uh, well, listen, in the paper book, in the paper books, in the paper book section, I, I will talk to my my people over at Harper Collins that you know very well. And I will tell them that 
I was having a money making conversation, and Thank one of the suggestions was we add some pictures. We'll I, see what they say. I, I swear to you, I swear to you, because you are. This is such a great book because of the fact it's historical. You you lived it. You lived, as a young man. You lived. You know, like you said, you was you was, like say you was a little political baby. You know, all the black people, all That's the politicians right. come down. They had to hug Libakari. Come on, you little cute little boy. Come <laughs> over here, take a picture with you. You know, use the little picture taking baby. And so, and uh, but let's 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 go back a little bit. But first thing I want to talk. About about is you being a Morehouse graduate. Talk about that HBCU yes. experience and the importance of it. Man, look, so we're going to Morehouse College and I was really young when I went. I was only 16 years old. Absolutely. But the experience in Morehouse, the experience in Morehouse told me um, a few things. One, one, I could be unapologetically black, be comfortable in my own skin. But it also taught me I could compete anywhere in the world. You know, Morehouse, as they say, your place is crown above your head so you can grow into it. And it just sets that level of expectation. And so being a black man and, you know, uh, Rashawn, right now, as we're going through just mm-hmm. another tragic death mm-hmm. in our country, the grief that it, it means and that you carry as a black man, um, you know, going to Morehouse, it helped me have a sense of pride and, and make sure that, um, you know, I, I speak for those who, whose voices sometimes go unheard. And I rise, I rise to that level of expectation. And so. Uh, Morehouse w- was uh, was amazing in helping me feel comfortable in my blackness and going out and being able to have pride in that and in my everyday life. It's really important because of the fact that well, it was a, in the book where you're talking about, uh, which I which I wrote found so relatable. We just talking about the, the you know the guys from different parts of the country. You know the Houston boy. I'm from Houston. So, yeah. so I took yeah. Houston boy to wore the polo boots, you know what I'm saying? And that's, and, right. and that's, that's right. how, if you get into college right, man, and you get on campus, you do. I had my boys from New Orleans. That was the same, all boys. I had my boys from, uh, from New York, you know, they dressed a certain way. And then I had my boys from Chicago. No, they dressed a certain way. When you get that college experience, I always tell people, go to college. I always tell young people, go to college. It defines who you could be, who you could be. That's about. right. And, that's and the diversity that the diversity that people don't even imagine exists. You got mm-hmm. you got people who are coming the brightest from all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those St. Aug boys, they, they still are. You know, they wear them Letterman jackets <laughs> their entire life. They're 40 years old, still wear a high school Letterman jacket. But, um, you know, you still have you, you get a chance to learn and cultivate and iron sharpens iron and you're able to, to grow with each other. And those friendships last for a lifetime. And so I was very, very lucky to be able to go to Morehouse. I tell my kids right now, you can go to any college you want to go to in the entire country as long as it's an HBCU. Absolutely. I I, I didn't go to an HBCU, HBCU but I'm doing, I've been doing a lot of work in promoting the brand. I just did that big special with ESPN with Stephen A. Smith, who I represent, uh, did a big broadcast for ESPN and raised over $4 million in scholarships and, and registered 1,200 students for HBCU schools last September. And we're going to do it again this year. Uh, hopefully this pandemic calms down so we can do it again because of the fact that I understand the value of that form of education that sometimes gets watered down. Yes, yes. And we just have to make sure that especially as black folk are, are not just suffering the most in terms of public health from this COVID-19, um, but our businesses are suffering and our institutions of higher education are suffering. So I'm grateful for somebody like you reaching out and, and reaching up and giving people a hand up. I have to. I have to. That, that's the roles we play in life. Let's talk about My Vanishing Country, you know, uh, a memoir. Talk to, tell us about why you wrote this book first. So I, I will tell you this, man. Look, I, I didn't want to write a, uh, I didn't want to write a, a memoir per se. I wanted to write a political book. Right. Um, but no one wanted to buy it. I mean, I could, I kept getting turned down. And so I sat down with Tracy Sherrod over at Harper Collins and she said, look, 
tell me your story. And I mm-hmm. told her about my father being shot in the Orange Road Massacre. I talked about the trauma that living with, with that entails. I talk, talked about being the youngest black elected official in the country and, you know, living in South Carolina and working in South Carolina under the auspices of the Confederate flag. And I talked to her about losing my good friend Clemente Pinckney um, in the Charleston shooting. And, you know, throughout all of those experiences, that trauma, I realized that my trauma may not be your trauma, but if we get a level of understanding, then we can persevere together. Um, and she said, you got to put this t- you got to put this down on paper. And, you know, the you never know when your book is going to come out when you right. write it. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that my book was going to come out during a time where black folk were dying at extremely high rates. Um, due to the coronavirus or pandemic, mm-hmm. um, I never really would have imagined, I mean, that we would have had the deaths of, of uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, um, and now another death in Minnesota. Right. Um, but, um, you know, so the book comes out in the words that I'm, that I'm putting on that page um, or those pages. It speaks to the issues of race we have in this country, issues we've never truly dealt with. Right. And we have someone in the office that uh, often seems like he's fueling the uh the problem instead of trying to uh remedy the problem. Correct. And so with that yeah. being with that being said, you know, you are a political commentator. And this book, uh I just want to let everybody know how special you are as a young man. I want to know everybody how special which how your parents are. Let's go to your parents because that's the that's the unknown yeah. story that really really just had me going from page to page to page to page. Tell us about your dad, who your who your yeah. friend from college, your roommate said, he's our Martin Luther King Jr., your dad. <laughs> yeah, my dad was a member of SNCC. My dad dedicated his life to justice. My dad dedicated his life to freedom and the pursuit thereof. And so, you know, February 8th, my dad was shot um, in what's called the Orange Rick Massacre. Um, three others were, were killed, Henry Smith, Samuel Hammond, and Delano Middleton. And um, there was a total of 29 that were injured. Um, all the officers who fired shots into the group of students were tried. They were all found not guilty. Um, my father ended up being the only person that um, they charged, tried, and convicted of that night's violence. They charged them of being the first and only one-man riot in the history of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my mother My mother helped integrate the schools in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, my parents, they all came from this um worldview that you had to become a part of something larger than yourself, Right. that you had to um, push this country to be a more perfect union. And the, that came along with a great deal of trauma, but they instilled that in all of us. So um, as I as I go through life, I just go through life trying to be a change agent and make my parents proud because they poured so much into me. They poured a lot. Uh, before we go to break, I'm going to give out some little nice little nuggets about HBCUs. There are over 100 HBCUs across the country. They enroll 10% of African-American students. And despite constituting only 3% of four-year colleges in this country, HBCUs have produced 80% of the black judges, 50% of the black lawyers, 50% of the black doctors, 40% of the black engineers, 40% of the black members of Congress, and 13% of the black CEOs in America. That's what HBCUs do for this country um, yes. continue yes. to do for this country I am talking to my man Bakari Sellers we'll be right back after this break to hear more about his amazing book it's a page turner y'all my vanishing country a memoir and has a cute little picture of him on the cover see that's what got me mad I got a cute little picture of him on the cover but I don't have no cute little pictures of him inside the book we're going to talk about that later off air because he's my man and we're going to create this relationship but otherwise 
that's just my little side comment. This is a great book because it's inspiring. It's inspiring because of the fact that he lived a life and the relationships that he's been. I always tell people it's important to have mentors around you. And I'm going to tell you a story about who my mentor was and how mentors can be important to you and how they can also lead you in the wrong direction. Because if that's all you know, that's all you do. Be right back with more money making conversations. I'm Rashawn McDonald. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, and uh, you're listening to Money Making Conversation. My Vanishing Country, a memoir. Bakari Sellers is on the phone. Bakari, um, when I was going through this book, you know, it was almost like a history lesson. It was kind of like two books yeah. in there. Because telling me stuff I didn't know, things I did know. Now, your major in college, was it African-American studies? It was. It was, yes. And I bring that up because my degree is in mathematics, and I did, and I, my minor was in sociology, and I took African-American studies, which changed my life, by the way, because yeah, I yeah. can remember, because I realized that, that uh, I went to public school, they just teach you nothing about what African-Americans have accomplished. They free you, <laughs> then you make it to the Brown to the Board of Education. Then all of a sudden you make it to the Martin Luther King speech. And that, but that's what it all did, the Martin Luther King assassination. That's why it pretty much ends in public school education. Then we go, then we do the Black History Month. And it's the same individuals in Black History Month that we talk about, which they are important, but we've accomplished more than like six people. And so when I took African American studies, it, it, it evolved so much information to me that it brought me to tears many times because I went, I didn't know. And, yeah. and, and, and it's sad. Talk about that, that education and lack of information, how it just keeps denying African Americans or people of color yeah, over you and know. over again. You know, one of the things that I, I when I was writing the book, um, you go back and you read sentences that that stick out to you. And one of those sentences that sticks out to me is when I was writing um, and, and my one of the lessons my father taught me, which right. is that heroes walk among us. Mm -hmm. um, my, my father and my mother, they never wanted us to believe that the only heroes we had were Martin, Malcolm and Rosa. Right. Um, you know, I grew up around the Stokely Carmichael's and the Marion Berry's. Um, I studied the Majeska Simpkins and Septima Clark's, as well as the Ella Bakers and Fannie Lou Hamer's. And so all of these, I call them my aunts and uncles, all of these people who are part of my, my, my village, you know, that I'm a product of the proverbial, it takes a village to raise a child. All of these people were a part of my village. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we had an opportunity, I had an opportunity growing up to live and breathe that history. The unique part about growing up in the South, though, is that you don't have to just read your history in books right. and you can actually go out and touch and talk to people who, uh, you know, they smelled gun smoke. They laid on those courthouse and jailhouse floors. You know, those old ladies that sit on the first and second row of the churches to wear the big hats. They mm -hmm. use the mm -hmm. two or three sticks of butter in their, in their um, coconut pies and their sweet potato pies. Right. Those ladies have seen so much. And when they hug you, they sustain you. They give you so much life. But they also give you that wisdom. It's just like the old man in the barbershop who ain't there getting a haircut, but he's telling you the stories about when he saw Sonny Liston fight and mm -hmm. when King came through town and all of these individuals. And so I tried to give all of those people voices and, and, and have some historical context because, Rashawn, this is the, this is the key. Right. When we talk about race in this country, um, it's, a, it's the most difficult conversation we have to have. Mm -hmm. But white folk only look at race through the context of their lifetime. And so in this book, what I tried to do was show how race has impacted us through a continuum. And so you can see the progression from my, my grandparents to my father and mother to where I am now. So you understand that trauma. And if 
black folk read this and get a sense of pride and white folk read this and get a sense of understanding, Mm -hmm. I think we can have some difficult conversations with compassion, those conversations that are necessary. Really, like you said, 228 years and counting, I believe that's what you say in the book. Correct. You know, I want to read this little portion. I always tell people that we chipped away at the glass ceiling. Glass ceiling mean uh, voters. Uh, In South Carolina in uh, 2014, I won 41% of the vote. In Georgia in 2018, Stacey Abrams won 49%. And in Florida, Andrew Gillum, he won 49%. Um, We're talking about states that are red states. We're talking about states that Blacks do have a majority in certain situations, but they're fearful of the outcomes or they're or they're so beaten down that they don't feel that their vote matters. As we go into 2016 and you being a political commentator and you write a book called My Vanishing Country, a memoir. Talk to us about that. What, 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 what do we have to overcome? What do we have to do? Those numbers you laid I mean, out are close, well, but they're not victorious. Yeah, no, we first thing we got to do is overcome voter suppression. It's something that people don't talk about enough in this country. You know, I tell people you got to show up and vote. You got to show up and show out at the polls. And, and you know, if, if voting wasn't so important, people wouldn't work so hard to take it away from you. Right. That's first. Right. Um, so we got to overcome that. We got to we got to push our candidates to be better. You know, I don't mind people pushing Joe Biden to be better, to mm-hmm. be a better candidate, to mm-hmm. have an agenda that positively affects people of color. Mm-hmm. But I also can state unequivocally that I'm going to do everything I can to vote for Joe Biden and get Joe Biden over the hump because my children don't deserve to grow up in a country where Donald Trump is president of the United States. And so we have to be willing to do that. And like one of the things that I want to see us do is activate. I want to see us activate our base. I want to, you know, it's one thing to go vote, but it's another thing to go pick up your cousin who sits in front of the the, the, the gas station every day, uh, just hollering at people who hadn't voted probably since Barack Obama. Right. He voted in, he voted in 08 and 12 and that was it. Mm-hmm. I need you to go get him. I need you to register your high school, uh, um, students in your community to vote. I need this to be a participatory effort. I need everybody to get involved because I'm going to tell you this, those Trump supporters, they're going to show up, they're going to vote and we have to be there and we have to make our voices heard. If not, xenophobia, racism and bigotry are going to continue to uh, reign supreme. Absolutely. Uh, you are from North Carolina, born in North Carolina, grew up in Denmark, South Carolina, home of a Piggly Wiggly store. Okay. That's right. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, you said in your book, uh, legal desegregation ended in Denmark in 1972. Now, I'm from Houston. That was my freshman year in high school. The fact that I'm, I'm living, a, I'm wor- worlds away from you. And you said legal desegregation ended in Denmark in 1972. So that imbalance of what we call freedom or the opportunity to succeed was not available to all blacks on all parts of the country at the same time. How was it growing up in a community like Denmark, South Carolina? I mean, so Denmark was an interesting community because we had, you know, we had train tracks that went north, south, east, and west, which was rare in the south. Mm -hmm. We had a bubbling, we had bubbling small businesses. We had two historically black colleges and universities. One's a two-year technical college, um, you know, where where our good friend, may he rest in peace, J. Anthony Brown, used to go to Denmark Technical College. Mm -hmm. That's my boy. Um, And Voorhees and Voorhees College. And so you, 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 we had those two colleges. We, and it was the epitome of um, these black small towns, which had this upward economic mobility. Um, but when trade came through, um, you know, the manufacturing plants left, um, the small businesses shuttered. Um, we, we, when, you know, government played its role in petty politics and we didn't expand Medicaid, um, you know, the, the, the hospitals left. 
Um, and so people ask me, what is it like now? And I say, I write about it clearly in My Vanishing Country. That's why one of the reasons that the title is My Vanishing Country. You know, when you look at when you look at places like this where a lot of black folk in the United States of America live, you have food deserts where you can't go two or three miles and get healthy fruits and vegetables. Right. Um, you have you have a lack of access to care. So my closest hospital is 25, 30 minutes away. Um, you're drinking dirty water. There are a hundred cities in the United States that have a, um, that have a water that's worse than Flint, Michigan. And many of those are black and brown cities. Um, you're, you're breathing in dirty air. And so you, you take all of these things, you take all of these systemic levels of injustice and oppression and you layer them, um, with now we're in a pandemic. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's a really, really tough time to be black in America. That's a fact. Well, that, that, that's, that's very true. And, uh, I, you know, I, I deal with it and I um and I, I'm, I'm oftentimes confused because I don't have options to how do I make it better? It, but the, the one way you can make it better, at least like you said, vote, exercise your right to vote, participate. Don't be a one silent of thing, one participant. Is, don't be a silent participant, but also don't let people take away your hope and don't let people take away your faith. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very hopeful and mm-hmm. I maintain faith because I have to fight so that my children can be free. Right. So, you know, I don't I don't play it. Pant- I don't paint a dystopian view. I, I paint a view that's very real and honest, saying that we've made a lot of progress in this country, but we still have yet a ways to go. And so now it's our duty. It's my duty to continue the legacy set forth by people like yourself, my yes, parents, sir. et cetera, and carry that baton forward so that my children live in a better country. Uh, and I still believe in what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. You know, Bakari, uh, uh, when I when I was going through the book, it's, like I said, so many layers. It's a great book. I'm talking about the book, My Vanishing Country, a memoir written by Bakari Sellers out of HarperCollins uh, Publishing House. Um, your friend Pop, he was older than yeah. you. Um, he had aspirations until the, the death of his dad. Uh, and he chose sports. And uh, there, there are so many Pops in our neighborhoods. I can remember I have, I have a version of Pop that grew up with me and um, didn't he made it out, but he didn't accomplish what he should have been able to accomplish because of mistakes. And we should all be able to overcome our mistakes. Talk to us about Pop from your neighborhood in Denmark, South Carolina. So, you know, I, I don't know if Pop will hear this um, episode of me on Money Making Conversations. But it, I hope it, it in Warhead. It with Where's he based at now? Where's he where's he living at right now? He's in Denmark. He's okay. in Denmark. It airs on Warhead's college campus radio station. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, I'm, I'm going to make sure he listens to it. And the reason being is because I want Pop to know that he was a success. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have this tension. We always have this these these very difficult conversations. And, you know, Pop is very emblematic of what it means to be a black man in this country and mm-hmm. trying to overcome, um, even though you have those obstacles that are placed in front of you. In my family, we opened our doors to Pop. Pop is my brother. He has a piece of my heart, always will. And so, you know, I, I feel challenged sometimes and difficulty trying to figure out, um, you know, how we can improve the relationship and which which direction we should go in. Right. Um, but even more, but even more importantly, um, as he grows into being a father, as he continues to work hard, and you know, he graduated from college and he's doing everything he should do. You know, he's a success, and while all he's going to do is make it make it easier for the next generation mm-hmm. um, to, to be better. And so, um, you know, we have to lift up our brothers, especially in, during this climate and during this time. Well, you know, it's really important that you say that. And cause it was a, it was a very, um, I always say, you know, it's about opportunity, a very um, poignant moment in your book when he says, why didn't y'all come get me? 
you know, and yes. because he felt that if you guys would have gotten him, pulled him into y'all life, because he, he basically lived y'all life. He was with you guys, Correct. He, but he lived on the Correct. other side of the track. And so, Correct. and just, just explain that, that whole different world dynamic and how, how it affected him and how it affected you and your sister and brother. So, I mean, it, it, it was humbling for us because, um, you know, we, we were always aware of, um, the blessings we had and even more aware and in tune to those who didn't. And so we were raised to make sure that anything we had, we, we gave as much as possible. Yes, sir. And my parents poured so much into pop, just like they poured into us. And so, um, the challenge is, you know, what do you do with that? And as me and challenge continue, as me and pop continue to grow older, we challenge each other right now to be better husbands and better fathers. And that's, that's, that is for us, the definition of success. And, um, I hope people read about pop and realize how many pops they have in their life and just worry about not giving them a handout, but giving them a hand up. Wow. That's great. Uh, I hope this book becomes a documentary because, um, it's, it's so many stories, additional stories that I, that, uh, motivated me out of this book. Uh, Bakari, I want to thank you for coming on the show to talk about your book, my vanishing country, for, a memoir. Thank you so much, man. Uh, as you can see, man, on Memorial Day, I was reading your book and enjoying it, my man. I just didn't have the peanuts. That's all. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get you some boiled peanuts. But thank you so much for allowing me, somebody of your stature, to utilize this platform. It means a lot. I'm humbled. So I'm grateful. Thank you so much. I definitely. I'm going to put it in my, I got a fan club. Of, I sent out a newsletter, 90,000 fan club members. My social media is almost a million. So I will be promoting your book, my friend. Be safe and uh, keep listening. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great day. If you want to hear more episodes of Money Making Conversations, please go to moneymakingconversations.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.